Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here. I've watched the transformation of this place, and it always is such a happy moment to see it all over again, see it in its present shape. Pretty spiffy. (laughs) Pretty spiffy. In the San Jose group, where um, I meet every Tuesday evening, uh, every couple of years we take up the study of the precepts again. And we've just started doing that um, just in these last few weeks. You would think you would do it once and you'd be all done, but the precepts aren't like that. the precepts are our own nature. It's really a, a, a beginning way of describing how it is with us in our deepest way, our deepest wish, you could say. And on the other hand, it's um, kind of guidelines um, for an impossible um, aspiration. Uh, There's no way to keep the precepts, though we talk about keeping the precepts. Um, There's no way to not kill. No way to not take or lie or misunderstand relationships. We're so entangled in our life in the world that um, if we try to live the precepts, we would actually probably die. (laughs) Because we have to eat, we have to take, we have to speak. And in some sense, everything that we say is a lie. We can't quite ever reach the truth with our speech. Though we try, we try. So interesting, isn't it? The one that we're uh, studying now is the one that I want to talk about this morning. It's the one called Not Taking That Which Is Not Given kind of a clumsy way of talking about it, Um, i.e. not stealing. Um, But not taking that which is not given makes it much more complicated, doesn't it? And um, much harder to feel um, noble about. What we do when we study the precepts is to take them one by one, um, look at them together, and then take, take them one by one home for one or two weeks and live them consciously and just see, not trying to impose anything, but just see 
what actually happens. It's it's uh, mind-boggling sometimes. We find um, find ourselves saying things that aren't really quite true. In the case of stealing um, or not taking what's not given, at first it seems like, oh, of course, I never steal. I always honor and respect other people's things. But if there's a pencil on somebody's desk and I really, really need it, um, might I not take it and promise to give it back? And maybe give it back, maybe not. Um, Many small times like that show up. Challenges to us. What about the, the shells on the beach? What about a beautiful, very small piece of petrified wood? We do kind of pick things up and keep them and take them home, even though they're really not ours and have not been given. The first time it really hit me was when I was out on a ranch close to Yosemite, belonging to a friend of mine and she took us out on a hike and she said every gopher hole you should look at because they're always digging up Indian artifacts here. I didn't know that. I thought that was fantastic. So I started digging in all the gopher holes and by golly I found this beautiful little turquoise bead. Very, very small beautiful, bright, blue, turquoise bead. And I was thrilled. I felt like I touched the past and touched people that I I felt I knew in some way. And I put the bead in my pocket and I walked along with it. And as I walked, I felt worse and worse. Hmm, hmm, this is kind of weird. I'm taking this thing. And we walked far out, and when we walked back, I found that gopher hole, and I put it back in. I didn't really mean to, I just kind of had to. And I've loved that bead and known it, I think more than I ever would have if I'd taken it home and put it on my desk or lost it somewhere in my house. It's been with me ever since. And I realized what it was to take what isn't mine. Of course, there's the absolute side of this, um, which in Zen we call the Bodhidharma side, the, the teacher who brought meditation to China Um, fierce old guy, maybe you've seen pictures of him with a beetling brow and um, sitting very hard. He sat for nine years facing a wall. And he took the precepts and flipped them so that you have the prohibitory side of saying no killing, no lying, no stealing. Um, And then you have the side that says there is no killing life. 
life goes on. In the case of stealing, uh, really we own nothing. We can own nothing. The things we have are provisional and they come and go as long as we're alive, but we're coming and going too. So of course, we don't own anything to keep. So in a way that makes it easier to honor this precept. The precepts come in many, many levels, many layers. One of the layers of this one is that the other side of not taking is giving. And so built into this is um, the whole intentional um, side of generosity. Generosity is one of the most important um, guides, you could say, for us. It's the practice that opens the heart. If the hand can open and give, the heart opens with it even in the smallest way. And there are many, many practices around giving. Um, Many practices about uh, a kind of secret generosity, you could say, or a generosity that's not noticed as such. We give our truth. We give our attention. We give things, of course, birthday presents and um, uh, whatever is needed. Compassion is, uh, the, the image of compassion is many hands with many implements so that we can give out of compassion with, with whatever is needed. reason giving is so important uh, is because we tend to hold on so hard. And this insight leads us directly to uh, Buddha's Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth is that, that we're we're stressed and suffering most of the time. The second noble truth is that it's because we cling to things. Or the other side of clinging, which is to try to get rid of them. Same gesture, whether we're pushing, pushing it away because we don't like it, or 
grabbing it and pulling it in because we want it. Wanting or not wanting. The source of our suffering. And yet we live in a world where we're encouraged to want as much as we possibly can. So learning to um, let go, to not need, to, to not want. Needing is different. But wanting more than we need was one of Buddha's greatest teachings. Know how to be satisfied, he said. No satisfaction. How do we know our satisfaction? Especially when the pressure is so intense for us to want more and more and more. The precepts... um, originally came about in Buddha's time they, they weren't imposed from on high um, they came out of people's lives together uh, you don't need any rules if you're living in the woods all by yourself you can just go along perfectly happily without making any rules of relationship except maybe with the chipmunks um, and the squirrels But if you're living together in community, then things happen. And that's what it was in Buddha's community. Things happened. Um, The one about no stealing was that um, one monk lost his razor and he borrowed it from another monk. And the other monk was quite head up about it and went to Buddha and he said something must be done about this it's not right for someone to take something like this and Buddha said yes you're right you're right we should make a rule about this so they're very ordinary very homely kind of cozy um, expressions of how to be together with each other In the, in the history of Buddha's Sangha, all during Buddha's life, things came up. And if you ever have a chance to read the Vinaya, it's very interesting because it tells the story of each one of the several hundred uh, precepts that monks and nuns keep. Um, and each, each one is a story, a story of something that really happened some of them quite bizarre. Um, So they come out of our own life and understanding and become guides for us, guides to awakening. Sometimes with all the words that are written about this practice and all the 
things that we do around it, it's, it's, it's hard to remember that it's most simply just about being awake. The word Buddha itself means awake. So what we what we bring to the precepts and what the precepts bring to us is awake itself. How am I doing now? How shall I do now? Oh, what did I just do? And it's a surprise, a little awakening that informs us, that helps to form our life and our direction. And therefore, they are most precious for us, and yet most difficult. In the Theravadan tradition, there are five precepts. No killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, no uh, abusing alcohol, killing, stealing, lying. Those are the five. In Zen, we have ten. I guess we're more difficult people or something. I don't know why we have ten and you have five. <laughs> but it's interesting, the ones, that, the, the extra ones that we have. Um, they're about speech, most of them. No dwelling on past mistakes. No, um, now watch me not remember. Um, praise or blame, no withholding materials or teachings, no being angry, and no abusing the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. No abusing the three treasures. Very interesting. So, um, Lying, of course, is a speech one, but then there are several more in Zen uh, just to keep us awake and on our toes, I guess. So one way of thinking about the no-taking is how to have an inclusive mind. how to let things be as they are, or be as it is, as as Suzuki Roshi used to say. How to, instead of trying to take, trying to improve one's life by taking in more and more and more, to accept life and allow it to be. A friend of mine is a Zen teacher up in Berkeley, um, Diane Rosetto, and she's just written a book in which she talks about this subject. And one of her suggestions is to um, replace but with and. 
So much of our language is shutting out one side in order to hold on to the other side. And almost invariably, um, the truth is at least two sides, if not a hundred thousand million. In other words, if we try to really understand how things are, to say to say one thing without including the other and the but shuts it off and says, no, it's really not true, it doesn't fit. To bring both sides up is one of the most encouraging things we can do with our own mind. It, it frees us so that we can say, oh, Aunt Gertz, a really nice woman, but she's also dot, 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 dot. And that creates an identification for Aunt Gert that's on the but side. But if we can say Aunt Gert is a nice person and she has these other qualities, then there's suddenly an embrace of a person that doesn't happen otherwise. It's funny to think of that as not stealing, but in fact, it is. It's opening up. And actually, that's what the precepts are all about. They're about opening to what's really happening instead of the ideas that we have about it. Ideas are a dime a dozen. And we have lots and lots of them. And our challenge is to be in place enough that we can actually experience how things are for us, moment by moment. And so the precepts are tremendously helpful in that way. They stop us in our tracks often and wake us up. I brought notes. I always forget them. Um, See what I forgot to say. So Diane Rosetto says, uh, calls this, taking only what is freely given and giving freely all I can. It's nice, huh? Giving freely all I can. When I ride with my friend Joan Marsh across the Golden Gate Bridge, she always pays for the car behind me, behind us. She always does that. Uh, It's getting more expensive by the day. But it's such a nice thing to do. Total strangers. They'll never know who she is. She'll never know them. Some people have practices like that um, of doing a secret deed every day. Just sort of for the fun of it, you could say. I mean, our life is so serious, but it's actually fun to do those things. And it creates a relationship with the world that um, isn't so 
me-oriented. Begin to have to look out and see what's really needed to actually notice when somebody drops something. Notice when somebody's uh, in a hurry in the grocery store and really needs to go ahead. Um, Just small. Nothing that you can get a gold star for. Um, No praise, no blame. But just to do. Make those gestures. Another way of talking about, about it is to recognize our abundance. Many times we don't give because we feel we don't have enough. And that if we give, we would lose something that we really need in order to survive. The truth is, um, we live, if anybody lives in abundance, we do. Sometimes the five desires are described as um, the desire for food, sex, sleep, shelter, and being known. And um, you know the, the three poisons are, are, are greed, um, anger, and ignorance. Or there are other versions of that, but the, those basic ones. And greed is based on overdoing the five desires. They're all survival things. We can't do without any one of those five. We have to eat. We have to have shelter from the blizzard. But we always want more. We're always craving more. And forgetting our abundance. It's actually a bottomless abundance. It's very uh, counterintuitive to us when we're focused on trying to survive. Uh, It seems like we need to get more in order to have enough. But the truth is that if we trust trust the world and ourself, that there's always enough. At Jikoji, the retreat center up on Skyline, um, I was the director for many years up there, and we lived hand-to-mouth as a retreat center. There was almost never any enough money. Um, and there were many, many expenses. The septic system was all, always falling apart, or the insurance went up, or all of those things. And it needed a lot of repair. <coughs> still does. And yet, I I discovered that if I just trusted it enough and trusted what we were doing there, that if our intention was clear and conscious, it's about having a conscious intention too, that it was taken care of, that something would happen to make it possible to fix the septic system. Somebody would send a check, 
somebody would come who knew how to do it, um, something would happen that would salvage a particular situation and then we would go on. There wasn't ever any overall kind of waving of a wand and making everything okay. Once one thing was taken care of, of course, there were a million others that had to be. But one at a time, everything was abundant. And I think all our lives are like that. The overall picture is a mess. And I think it probably always is a mess that we can't take care of every single thing. It's always kind of falling apart. But moment by moment, we live in abundance. If only we can recognize it and enjoy it. So maybe that's enough. I'd like to have time for discussion. Um, questions, answers, etc. Um, so I was interested in what you said about uh, the uh, Zen vow of no praise and blame. So uh, is it that one should not praise or blame others? And uh, of course the part that makes me curious is the praise side since we so often hear that you know, it's a good thing to affirm others and um, that sort of thing. So I'm interested in what the reasoning is about why it wouldn't be a good thing to uh, offer praise to others. Well, there, there are several schools of, of interpretation of this. Uh, one is that it's no praising self-blaming others. Um, some people take it as no praising and no blaming. Uh, so it depends. It, there's truth in both, and maybe it depends on the situation. Um, and praise is often used in order. To, praising others is often used in order to actually enhance ourselves in other people's eyes. It can become a real ego trip, and so in that sense, I think it, it makes sense to say no praise. But on the other hand, it's hard not to say good job to somebody sometimes. It really, uh, it, it, it's a kind of heart-to-heart feeling also in relationship. So I think as, as with everything, it depends on the situation. In the Tibetan tradition, um, there's a tradition of taking all the blame, no matter what. That's a very tough one, but a very um, invigorating one. Um, What's meant um, in not abusing the three treasures? Well, that has many, many layers, I think. Um, Buddha is the teacher. And Dharma is the teaching, and Sangha is the teach ease, you could say, in the most basic sense. Um, and then you have to ask, who is the teacher? And um, where does the truth reside? 
and who are we together? Who is Sangha? Um, My teacher always said, all beings are members of our Sangha. And I think in terms of the three treasures that that's what it means. It's one one untalkaboutable, the three jewels it's sometimes called. And it's three jewels as one jewel that we turn around and look at from different, different sides. And in the end, um, it's us. And one of the things that um, is really, really important in this practice, and, and the precept that's broken the most often, I think, is, is abusing ourselves. The, the three jewels of us, the truth of us, of mistrusting and um, misusing what's best in us. So it, you can see it has a social side and a, and a, a more intimate side. It's not personal at all, but it's how we are. And we have to do it too. We have to break this precept. We do.